This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. think of all these things as a, a single problem, as the only problem that I have is this and that's it. But they don't realize everything is connected. So again, we go back to being healthy. If you boost your immune system, the side effect is that you're healthy. And if you're healthy, one of the side effects of better health is that you have better libido. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn how to bolster our libido under stress. We'll hear whether we should change our diet as we age. We'll explore how naturopathy intersects with allopathy. And lastly, we'll discuss mindfulness, middle age, and self-actualization. But first, a little bit of business. Omega Alpha is 100% Canadian-owned and has been GMP-certified for manufacturing to pharmaceutical standards since its inception in 1992. It uses only all-natural herbs, vitamins, and minerals in their formulations. The company is site-licensed for manufacturing nutraceuticals by the Natural Health Products Directorate, a division of Health Canada. They have four company divisions, both a consumer line and professional line of human products, equine pet health products, and a custom manufacturing private label division. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit their website at omegaalphainc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings. Welcome back to the show, sir. How are you? Thanks again for having me. Always a pleasure. And today, everybody's been talking about COVID for so long. I'm always excited when we are sort of approaching it a different way. And today, it's really interesting, I think. We're going to talk about how it may be impacting our sex lives and what we can do about it. Yeah? Definitely. I mean, one of the things we know with COVID, if it's a bothering to everybody, it's the stress factor. 100%. The stress factor is huge, right? Now, once we talk about the stress factor, there's several things that people know what to do to handle stress. Mm-hmm. Okay? One of them is get out of the stressful situation. Well, if you're confined to the home because of COVID and you can't go here, you can't go there, getting out there is not as easy to get away from the stressful situation as we would think. Okay? Yes, of course. I mean, there's always a psychological part where we say, okay, change your mindset, etc. And I leave other people to talk about that because they're much better versed at it than I am. But again, that's one way of, that, of looking at it. Okay, mm-hmm. so things like meditation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That is uh, one approach. But again, I said there are many different approaches, right? One of it, again, something as simple as a good night's sleep, right? Something as simple as exercise. Again, all those we know about, right? Mm-hmm. So there are things you can do about that. Then there are things about diet. Okay? Again. Less sugar in your diet, you know, less coffee, all those type of things, again, are one of the ways of approaching it. Sure. Even something as simple, and it it seems trite, you know, 
don't drink as much alcohol, lead a clean lifestyle, right? That's you, right. You know, a, a cleaner lifestyle. But no, there are people who will advocate other things to relax you. Okay? Sure. Mm-hmm. Now, after having said all those things, we have to remember there are people who are on medication, and sometimes the medication affects the libido, yep. right? And then if you compound that by the stress of COVID and stresses of life, makes it even worse. Right. Yes. So again, getting healthy is one of the things. Right. Now there are certain things that we can do for getting healthy. Right. So again, we have to work with our doctors, etc., to try and get healthy. Right. Uh, and sometimes it's not as easy as we think it is. But after having said all those things, there are several things that people can use, especially for men. I'm not talking so much for the women right now. The men. Right. There are herbs that have been known and have a very good reputation for being effective for libido. And some of them work because they are what we call adaptogenic, meaning that they help you control the effects of stress on the body. Well, let's talk a bit about how how stress impacts the body physiologically. So if I'm stressed, how's that going to manifest? Well, first off, a lot of people find is that you can't sleep well. Right. Yeah. Or you have problems falling asleep, but if you do fall asleep, you sleep for two hours, you're up, and you can't sleep again. Right. Right? So you don't get that deep, restful sleep that you need. Right. Right? So there are things that have been recommended that seem to work really well to help you get to sleep. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, there are pharmaceutical products that will help you sleep, but the problem with it is a lot of times people wake, who take it wake up and they say, well, I feel groggy, I, you know, I feel mm-hmm. all the sorts, etc. Yep. So the natural sleep aids that people have used that work really well for that type of thing. There are several pharmaceutical products that we know will help with sleep, but right. people who take these products, one of the things they find is that they wake up groggy. So sometimes the after effects or the side effects of these, these sleep aids, pharmaceutical sleep aids, don't really help and doesn't really work. Right. Okay? So there are other things that people have used to help relax and help get a better sleep. Things like some of the herbs would be like valerian is one of the ones that's very popular in the Western society. It's the one that everybody knows about. But there are other ones that people don't really think too much about, but they also work really well. There's a Chinese herb called jujube, mm-hmm. right? There's another Chinese herb called biota orientalis. That's a Latin name for it. Mm-hmm. It also works really well. There are herbs like hops. There's herbs like passion flower. Right? All these herbs work really, really well. The key I um, like to point out is that if you find a product that has a whole bunch of different sleep aids together, usually those work better because sometimes, you know, people say, well, I took valerian, it didn't work for me. Right. Or I took hops, and it didn't work for me. Well, the reason sometimes is that for whatever reason, everybody's individual's biochemistry is different. So the herbs have different effects on different people. But if you have a product that has a whole bunch of different herbs together, one of them or two of them is bound to work on you. Right, so it's, it's we're going to... You find something that's effective. Right, because these herbs work differently on everybody. That's right. Okay. Right? So that's why I like I like to point out some of these herbs. Now, so you get a good night's sleep. If you get a good night's sleep, the next day you wake up, you're automatically feeling a lot better, mm-hmm. right? Now, there's also the exercise component. Again, other people would have talked about that, and they know a lot more about it. But we all know that if you do exercise, you feel a lot less stressed because one of the things of exercise is that a lot of the stress hormones, it breaks down some of the stress hormones, you know, and it helps get rid of, of some of these stress hormones. So you, you automatically feel more relaxed. Right. I mean, and it could be as simple as the runner's high, you know, after 
after exercising vigorously. And That's every, right. For, for everybody, makes yeah, you ex- feel a lot better. Exactly. I know after I do a good workout, I, I my mood is immeasurably better, and I'm I'm raring to go, as it were. Yeah. That's right. All right. Now I know some people want something more concrete, so they say, "Okay, we we know all that stuff already. What other things that can we use?" Mm-hmm. All right. Well, some of them that we know about. There's some of these what we call these libido herbs. Right. Right. Now there is some data that's published in the in the scientific literature that says that these things will work. And one of them that everybody knows about really is ginseng. Mm-hmm. Ginseng has had that reputation for being effective as a libido enhancer, right? Mm-hmm. But again, how much to take, how much not to, not to take. It just depends on the individual. But as I said, one of the things that how ginseng will work is that it causes you to deal with stress a lot better. And if you deal with the stress a lot better, you feel more relaxed. If you feel more relaxed, again, you know, you are more in the mood. Right. You realize everybody's taking notes now, right? <laughs> you know, you, so make sure you're speaking slowly and you're, you're saying so they, when they go out and buy mm-hmm. all, these, all these enhancers, they know exactly what to get. So what's I, next? Again, there are other ones that people have used, things like Siberian ginseng, which is also known as Elithrococcus centicosis, right? Okay, yeah. That's another one. Again, similar effects to, to ginseng. Right. Mm-hmm. Then there's things as astragalus. Okay. Right. Again, they all belong to this class of what we call them adaptogenic herbs. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Codonopsis is another one. Ashwagandha is another one. Again, what I would l- like to um, suggest yes. is that if you find a product that has all these things together, right, you will get a better effect. Right. Okay. Uh, yep. Because otherwise, you know, you go buy this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. Next thing you know, you, you have 10 different bottles in front of you. Right. Which one, how much are you taking? You can't take all 10. I mean, you could. But then, as I've always said, I do not want gelatin to be a major part of my um, nutrition. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or in the case of what we call those veggie caps, I don't want those as a major part of my nutrition either. I understand. Right. right. Plus, yeah. you know, everybody everybody only has so many resources and, and so much time, you know, like, and, and, you know, I know a lot of the health and wellness listeners, you know, they will spend a lot of time researching, right? I mean, mm-hmm. part of the reason you're on the show is, is so you can explain things in, in ways that, you know, then they don't have to go to the internet and spend five hours looking it up. You know, they can trust your opinion on, on the efficacies of these herb. Definitely. But I always say, too, but you have to look at the rest of you. Yeah, because for sure. people think of all these things as a, a single problem, as a, uh, you know, the, the only problem that I have is this and that's it. But they don't realize everything is connected, right? So, again, we go back to being healthy if you boost your immune system, right? Yep. The side effects is that you're healthy. And if you're healthy, right, one of the side effects of better health is that you have better libido. Or what about self-esteem? I mean, you know, like when I was carrying my extra weight mm-hmm. and I was carrying, you know, probably 50 pounds of it, I didn't really feel good about myself. I didn't like the way that I looked. I didn't like the way that I felt. And how could that not impact the way I, I would feel about you know, my sex life. That's right. And conversely, if you look good, if you feel good, if you are moving and being your best self, how could that not also That's impact right. how you feel in your That's sex right. life? And really? this is why I always stress is that it's a combination approach. It's not just a single system approach. Right. But I know that the current thinking out there is that 
you know, it's a single system approach, meaning that my foot hurts, I just want to talk about the pain. I don't want to talk about how I got the pain, what else is affected by it, etc. You know, to buy into natural health and wellness, you really have to take a step back and say to yourself, nothing is going to be resolved immediately. That's right. Everything that I'm going to be doing, I have to do indefinitely because it's a lifestyle. It's not about taking something and getting a result. It's about doing all that you can to put yourself in the best position to move forward and meet all the challenges that you have, including the sexual challenges you might have. That's right. right. Now, after having said all that, yeah. right, that part of it is true. There's no, there's yeah. no denying it. But there are things that people can take to help. Okay. Right? And, right. Of and this is yeah. where I talk about those herbs that I, first, I mentioned, yeah. right? Yeah, of course. Right. It particularly targets that part of the, of the problem. Okay. Right? Yeah. And it's adaptogenic. I mean, some of the herbs we know, for example, for some people with erectile dysfunction, okay, one of it is because there's insufficient blood flow, right? Yep. And some of these herbs actually increases blood flow, right? So this is how some of these herbs will work. Okay. Right? Some of these herbs actually stimulate the production of testosterone, right? Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So, yes, there are many different ways that some of these herbs will work. And this, again, this is why I said a wide variety, because if you take them in a large variety, if you get the herb that stimulates the blood flow, if you get herbs that, that increase testosterone production and you take them together, well, you get better bang for the buck. That's basically what I'm trying to say. Okay, so so what are some of the herbs that help with t- testosterone, for example? Things like pribilis have been known to increase testosterone production. Now, I don't want people to think that I'm going to take a little bit of this herb and I'm going to be so pumped with testosterone, I'm going to get, for want of a better way of saying, roid rage. Yep. Right? Yeah. It does not happen that way because basically how these herbs will work, it'll cause the body to increase its production of testosterone. However, the amount of testosterone your body can produce is controlled very tightly by the other systems in the body. Mm-hmm. So basically what you will have happening, it'll push you to the upper side of normal. Okay. okay? Yep. But sometimes all you need is a little oomph to give you that extra little lift. Okay. Okay. So this is why some of these things are good. And again, good nutrition, right? And I will say to you, antioxidants, right? I, 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 I really believe in antioxidants because I shouldn't say I believe there's enough data out there to show that every single disease right, known to man, right, is either caused by free radicals or potentiated by free radicals, right? Yes. Something as simple as an inflammation response, that's a free radical, that's a free radical mediated problem, right? You know, damage to your tissue, free radical mediated. So if you have these antioxidants, it'll help negate some of these effects of free radicals. And again, a wide variety of them, right? Not just one single type, as wide a variety as you can get your hot little hands on. That's a key. Okay. So we have time for one more little area. Where would you like to go last? Well, again, you know, things that what people want to talk about. You know, everybody, I get people asking me, would vitamin D help, right? Uh, Omega-3s help. They all work, okay? Again, how do they work, right? So things like vitamin D3 boosts the immune system. That's one of the things that we know it does. But vitamin D3 also has so many other effects on the system, right? You know, and we talk a little bit about some of the the herbal products out there that contains these things like Mora Puma that comes out of South America, right? Damiana that comes out of South America. Those are some of the things. But I, I just want to stress on this is that good night's rest, good nutrition, some good antioxidants. Those are the keys, you know. 
And if if you're under stressful situation, take things that will help fight the effects of stress. If uh, people are looking for more information as to some of the supplements that might help them, is there a resource at your company they can go to? Yes, you can go to our website, omegaalpha.com or omegaalpha.ca. We have a whole slew of information that you can get your hands on there. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. We're going to hear back from you next month, yes? Yes, definitely. Fantastic. We have to take a short break, but we will be right back on The Tonic. St. Francis Herb Farm is a leading herbal company that is 100% Canadian-owned and family-run in the Ottawa Valley for over 30 years. St. Francis Herb Farm is obsessed with plant medicine. Their holistic approach includes only certified organic and well-crafted herbs. Processes learned over decades get the most out of the herbs, and leveraging science ensures the highest quality. The foundation for their well-made plant medicine. St. Francis Herb Farm is well-known and trusted for their wildly popular Deep Immune that can help you fend off flus and colds, as well as a full range of natural health and wellness products for the whole family. To learn more, visit stfrancisherbfarm.com or follow them on Instagram or Facebook. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest, Shauna Linson, is a dietitian and nutritionist. She is a program developer and nutrition leader at Wellspring Cancer Support Network and enjoys seeing clients virtually and doing corporate and wellness lectures. She runs practical cooking demonstrations that combine scientific knowledge with culinary education. Her demonstrations are unique, informative, delicious, and a lot of fun. You can find a list of her nutrition classes and recipes at shaunalinson.com. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Great, Jamie. How are you? Good. I'm getting older. How about you? Yeah, I just had a milestone birthday in June. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I'm not going to ask because it's none of my business, but I'm 54, and I'm wondering, as a Mm 54-year-old, should I be eating differently than I did, let's say, when I was in my 20s and 30s? Are my nutritional needs the same or different? Yeah, interestingly enough, I will say full disclosure, I turned 50, and I'm proud of it. And no, I wasn't I, trying to shame anybody. I, I know. No, it's true. It's funny, because what does 50 feel like? Like, I actually feel great, yeah. but when it comes down to, as we get older, how do our nutrient requirements change, or our calorie requirements change? Well, they actually do indirectly, because... It depends on, like, how old we're talking, but we tend to move less, like we get more injuries, that type of thing. So that indirectly changes how many calories we need, depending on, like, our energy expenditure. And we can't help this physically. So the muscle mass compared to our fat mass, the muscle mass, every year, a percentage of our muscle mass will go down, which makes, you know... But that starts in your 30s. And it does. You, and you can slow that down significantly. You can. You can still build yes. muscle into your 50s and 60s. Yeah, so we can't help that it's happening, but we can yeah. do something to counteract it. Correct. Which yep. is muscle building through different exercises, right? And yep. sometimes these 
sync yourself with the muscle strength, like, does that mean I have to go lift, you know, heavy weights? No. Things like yoga, Pilates, they actually help our muscles as yeah. well. You don't have to bulk up. You can put on lean muscle. And certainly for women, that's going to be more preferable. But, yeah. but, but any muscle mass is going to help you not get injured, stability, flexibility, all those things. All of those things. And when you mention women, I think a little bit more difficult or a lot more difficult sometimes for women because we have the hormone shift, right, right. in yeah. premenopausal and postmenopausal. So it does play havoc on our different types of fat in our body, like our subcutaneous fat. As we get older, we have less of the subcutaneous fat, which is the fat you can pinch, and we have more of the visceral fat, which is the fat that's held between our organs. And that, unfortunately, we don't know that it exists unless we get ultrasounds, like, for instance, fatty liver. We don't know if we have fatty liver, but as we age, we have more risk for that. Right. So when we're talking about putting on the muscle mass, I, I guess that means we should be having at least some protein. Yeah. Yes. So the protein doesn't, it's not like we eat protein and it directly turns into muscle. There's only a certain amount of protein that our body can actually utilize. So protein isn't always the answer in terms of striving really high for protein. But when we get into the different macronutrients and micronutrients Mm -hmm. that we need when our bodies get older, protein is one very important one. Mm -hmm. Also, another one is fiber. Right. So the F word, the other F word. So fiber is extremely important to obviously help our bowels move. It helps in terms of disease prevention. So it helps control our blood sugars, which will hopefully prevent diabetes. It helps get different high fiber foods have different vitamins and minerals like magnesium, which is good for muscle cramping. And I know as we get older, our muscles start to ache a little bit. Yep. And so you want to increase foods that are high in protein, magnesium, B12. And actually, if you want to talk about foods that are high in all three, milk products. So yogurt, cheese, that type of thing, or liquid milk or milk alternatives have the calcium, the vitamin B12, the vitamin D. Those are all essential nutrients that our bodies can't absorb that well as we get older. Right. And the calcium is so important for bone density, right? Which, which... Yes. And it is controversial, like how much calcium yeah. we need postmenopausal or if you're a man, it's, you know, like if you get into your 50s or 60s, how much calcium do we actually need? But what I really like to focus on is the vitamin D because vitamin D, they say, is structurally like a hormone. And our intestine can't really absorb our B12 or our vitamin D as well as it used to. Okay. So that means we have to bump those two vitamins up in our diet or by supplement. Okay. Do you believe in the supplements or do you think we can get enough from our diet? So for B12, it depends. If you have become more plant-based and you're almost, let's say, a vegan diet, Unless you're having the milk substitutes, the nutritional yeast, things that are B12 fortified, it's actually quite difficult to get vitamin B12 enough 
through diet. Vitamin D, I think it's very difficult to get through diet. And living in Canada, we have to make sure we get enough sun exposure. But between October to March, it's almost impossible to get enough vitamin D from the sun because we're too far from the equator. We've done whole segments on vitamin D, so I, I, I hear you. Exactly. So, yeah, I would say in that regard, you should supplement. Okay. So what are the foods that we should make sure that we incorporate into our diet as, as we're getting older? So if you have a variety of foods like whole grains, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, those all have the fiber, the macronutrients, right? Like yep. So the protein, the carbohydrate, and the healthy fats. So if you said to me, you know, really, what are the main ones? I would say you really have to do a variety. Like you have to kind of look at your plate, make sure half of your plate is covered in different colored fruits and vegetables, quarter of your plate as really strong protein sources. So examples of that would be the fatty fish, like salmon or trout, Greek yogurt, eggs if you're an egg eater, chicken. All of the high-protein foods would fit in that category. Also, beans and legumes have lots of protein. And then and tofu, yep. um, we can't leave that one out. And then a quarter of your plate should be the whole grains. And whole grains should not be discounted or avoided, in my opinion, because they're full of fiber. They're full of something called beta-glucan, which Mm -hmm. is the sticky substance that helps lower your cholesterol levels. And as we get older, that's something that unfortunately will go up in our bloods, is our bad cholesterol, which is called the LDL cholesterol. And that could be diet-related. A little off topic, and I noticed this, you know, with my in-laws and my mother, you know, as people get older, things don't taste the same to them and and Mm -hmm. they can't digest certain foods as easily as they used to. There's lots of things. As we get older, we might have, you know, a little bit of depression or loneliness, depending if you live alone or with someone else. You may be too tired to cook. There's lots of factors that actually come into play. And unfortunately, that will impede you know, the timing of when we eat, what we eat, sure. how we eat. Like, it's a lot to deal with, with. So what would you prioritize? If you were consulting with somebody who was older, let's say our parents' age, what would you say to them they should focus in on to, to sort of help their diet along at their age? Very good question. I would say that they should try to eat around the same time each day. So they have to kind of, as we always talk about, intuitively decide what's best for them. So if they have a solid breakfast, a solid lunch, a solid dinner, and then the snacks are kind of if they feel like it, because some people will forget to eat. So if you know... In, in my entire life, I've never forgotten to eat. I know, me too. I, I can't it's... even imagine what that... I, I know people... Oh, I forgot to have lunch. I know, what are you, insane? I like, I, you I know. know. <laughs> I'm on your page there. My husband will forget to eat, and then he eats to live instead of live to eat, and I'm completely opposite. Like, yeah. I... I'm like you, Jamie, like, you know, (laughs) we're from the same mold. I wake up in the morning and all I think about is, what am I going to eat today? Like, so when you get older, you may lose some of that invigoration and enthusiasm and excitement. So we're not there yet, right? I guess not, yeah. Oh, we're really not there yet. So in terms of just having a kind of itinerary of I'm going to have my breakfast, I'm going to have my lunch and my dinner, and the snacking's kind of optional. So if you have your day set out, 
even if it's something like a smoothie or something, right? Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't have to be like a huge meal, but just enough to keep you going. Cause, and also drinking. And especially when we talk about fiber, and I'm talking about drinking lots of water, yep. not the other type of drinking. So when you eat your fiber, you have to make sure you take in enough fluid. And sometimes people don't realize that when they're not feeling so well, they feel kind of lightheaded, weak. They're dehydrated. Yeah, you're thirsty. You're not hungry. Right? Exactly. And thirst doesn't really show up until you're really dehydrated. Right. By the time you are thirsty, and then this pertains to my workouts, right? If you are working yourself to the point where you are thirsty, you are completely dehydrated. Completely dehydrated. And as you get older, you may not be thinking that. You might just think, I'm tired because I was up all night. You know, I was up yeah. five times in the middle of the night going to the washroom or that type of thing. So you, especially in like hotter weather, if you have a drier condo or house or apartment, you have to make sure that you actually push the water and have water around you all of the time just to make sure that you're for sure drinking it. Well, that is fantastic advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You'll come again soon? Yes. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Fantastic. That was Shauna Lindzen. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. Ever wonder if your probiotics are really working for you? To fully benefit from probiotics, you need to ensure they're not destroyed by your stomach acids. Clinical studies prove that enteric coating guarantees safe intestinal delivery of live active probiotic cells. New Roots Herbal offers a variety of enteric coated probiotics formulated to meet your specific needs. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. Find them in the refrigerated section. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Jack Nathan Health offers Canadians convenient care with 74 multidisciplinary clinics located within Walmart stores. The largest ever Jack Nathan Health Medical Centre is now open in Vaughan, Ontario at 8300 Highway 27. The new 8300 square foot clinic offers integrated services for the whole family, including family medicine, physiotherapy and chiropractic, chronic pain management, massage and a registered dietitian. There's also an on-site Dynacare blood laboratory plus same-day referrals, walk-in appointments and a new annual health assessment option. Jack Nathan Health is a one-stop shop for proactive health management. For more information, visit jacknathanhealth.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Dr. Emily Lipinski graduated from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto and is a member of the Ontario Association of Naturopathic Doctors. While in the academic world, Emily became fascinated with the potential applications of naturopathic medicine in health and wellness. She strongly believes in addressing the root cause of a medical issue and using natural therapies, either alone or in conjunction with conventional Western medicine. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. How are you? Good. We're going to focus in on that last sentence of the intro, which is the conjunction with conventional Western medicine, because there are a lot of instances where there's sort of crossover and, you know, naturopaths and MDs and various practitioners working together. Yeah. Absolutely. There are more and more. But there are differences between allopathy, and I'm, I'm going to define Western medicine as allopathy just for the purpose of this discussion, and naturopathy, right? That's right. So Absolutely. let's let's discuss a bit about the differences and the way you're trained and the way doctors are trained, the belief system, all that good stuff. 
Sure. So both medical doctors and naturopathic doctors in terms of school education do have usually undergraduate degree, often in the sciences, and then both have four years of some type of medical school. So conventional doctors or allopathic doctors would have traditional medical school and naturopathic doctors have four years of a naturopathic medical school. Okay. In terms of the belief system, I mean, again, it really depends. Sometimes that's case by case. A naturopathic doctor, though, generally believes in in getting to the root cause of why the person's experiencing certain symptoms. So instead of just prescribing one medication for what they're feeling, naturopathic doctors, because we also are private, we have a little bit more time to ask more questions and really understand why they're experiencing that symptom. I'd say both naturopathic doctors and medical doctors in Ontario can order blood tests, but medical doctors, they can order more blood tests than naturopathic doctors can, and they can also refer certain things like ultrasounds and MRIs, and naturopathic doctors cannot in Ontario. And then in terms of treatment, again, naturopathic doctor, as it sounds like, we use a lot more natural-based therapies, um, so herbs and supplements. We use a lot of dietary and lifestyle interventions. And then sometimes conventional medicine. So in Ontario, we have some prescription rights. Mm -hmm. Um, In BC, naturopathic doctors have a lot of prescription rights. And of course, many people know in in Ontario, most medical doctors do use a lot of prescription medication. Okay. So in terms of what you can treat versus an MD, are there distinctions or differences? I'd say, you know, generally speaking, naturopathic doctors are trained to see most of what medical doctors see, but because of the nature of how our medical system is set up, because we're private, because, you know, naturopathic medicine is more of an emerging field, I'd say that we see probably things that are maybe harder to to treat or things that maybe are a little bit more complex. A lot of patients come to me because they're frustrated with the conventional system or that prescription medication that was prescribed to them. It just isn't working for them and they're looking for something different. Okay. I mean, I know the answer to this question with you, but do allopaths and naturopaths work together frequently? In my case, absolutely. That's, you know, I really, when I talk to my patients, I really like to tell them that I prefer them to have a medical doctor as well as a naturopathic doctor. And I'm really open and willing and wanting to converse with their medical doctor, write letters on their behalf to kind of open that pathway and ideally have, you know, an umbrella of care. But some, some, I'd say on both sides, I think more often than not, sometimes with the medical doctor community. Maybe they had a bad experience with a naturopathic doctor. Maybe sometimes people, especially, I'd say this is more true a few years ago, but being a little bit misinformed about what naturopathic medicine is and how we practice. I remember early in my career, someone came to me and asked me if I was going to wave crystals over their head and hum. You know, (laughs) so I think that there's this thought that naturopathic doctors really practice some crazy voodoo medicine or that they're unwilling to work with conventional medicine. And having said that, I do have some patients that are so frustrated with conventional medicine or just their own belief system. They don't believe in taking prescription medications and they prefer not to have a medical doctor or they don't want me to speak to their medical doctor. Or sometimes they're actually scared that if I do reach out to their medical doctor, their their MD will get mad that they're seeing an, an ND. Huh. So 
even though the desire for a lot of MDs, I'd say, especially newer grads or more younger MDs wanting to work with MDs, I think there's it's a little bit more complex, especially when you put the patient in there and if the patient actually wants MD and ND to work together. I would think it would be problematic if they if you had both an MD and an ND, and if they weren't working in conjunction, you've got siloing of information, which is a huge issue in healthcare, because yeah. if you can't understand the full picture, if you're not getting all the information, let's say from all the tests that are being run or et cetera, whatever it might be, then mm-hmm. how can you possibly treat somebody without full information? I mean, I would insist that any of my practitioners have full information, whether or not they agree with the philosophy of the other people treating or not, they should have the full picture. Absolutely. And there's now, you know, certain labs in Ontario do allow the patient to access their own labs, which is helpful because the patient then, even if they don't want the MD and ND to just talk, they can send or print out these things and bring them to the practitioner. And then sometimes I just tell the patient, you know, I do have to have these labs. And even if you don't want me to reach out personally and ask the MD for them with your informed consent, then you're going to need to contact the office, ask for these tests and these MRIs and these ultrasounds for your own personal file and then get them to me. Hmm. All right. So we're, we're creating hurdles and I don't mean you are, but like, you know, the, the system doesn't allow for the smooth integration of that information. That being yeah. said, there are good reasons why you would want to have both an allopath and a naturopath, right? Absolutely. So some recent research shows that over 70% of Canadians are now using at least one natural supplement. And so we know that the desire is there for more natural options. And I hear that all the time, whether they're my patients or people I just talk to at a social gathering, that that people are more and more interested in what natural remedies may be helpful for them. And because all these natural remedies are available online at the health food store, Amazon, so forth, some people just decide that they're going to Google Okay, what's good for arthritis? I'm going to buy that on Amazon and just start taking it. They don't realize that even though these natural supplements are deemed natural and people generally think they're safe because of that, these individuals may be on certain medications that would have an interaction with what they're purchasing. Right. Or they may have some other, maybe they have arthritis and then they also have some other sort of ailment where that natural supplement is actually going to be detrimental for So it's really great to have, you know, a specialist, like a naturopathic doctor in natural remedies and so forth to overview, you know, all their medications and say, yes, what you're buying is okay for you or no, no, it's not. And it's much better if you you go on this or you need a certain dose too. Some people, echinacea is a wonderful example. Echinacea has been shown in research to be very, very effective against cold and flu that we need a certain extract of it at a certain dose. And so if you go to, again, let's just say Amazon and you pick up some echinacea for a cheap price, well, you might be underdosing and you may not even be using the right type of extract. So you're not going to have any benefit. If you do, it's just placebo. And there there are differences in the formulations as well, right? A naturopath Absolutely. can tell you if there's a preferred brand or if there's, a you know, other than dosage sourcing, you know, there's all kinds of issues when it comes to what you're putting into your body. Yeah? That's right. Any other reasons why you would want to have both an allopath and a naturopath? Well, again, you know, naturopathic doctors, we can 
order certain tests, but we can't refer in Ontario for an ultrasound, which might be very helpful. So if you have an MD, they could do that. We have some prescription rights, but again, not the full gamut of things. And sometimes prescription medication is really, really helpful, even if that doesn't mean, you you know, some people are saying, I don't want to go on it. Well, maybe if it's just a 10-day course and it's really going to help you. Again, that's not something I could prescribe, and a medical doctor could do that. Although medical doctors are trained, you know, we have different medical systems and some medical doctors are trained at being very good at diagnosing certain things that naturopathic doctors may not be. So I really think it's great to have, you know, two minds that are think similarly on some things and differently on others, but are really, you know, at the end of the day, working in the best interest of the patient. Yeah, that makes sense. So, okay, so if you've decided that you want to find an ND, what would you recommend? What would you tell people if they're looking for an ND? What to look for and and how to go about it? So online, the Canadian Association of Naturopathic Doctors and the Ontario Association of Naturopathic Doctors lists all the NDs, and some NDs do focus on certain areas compared to others. So if you go on these websites, you can say, okay, I'm I'm looking for an ND that does focus on arthritis or autoimmune disease, and then NDs in your area will come up. Secondly, you know, it's always good to ask for referrals. Maybe some of your friends or family members have seen an ND that's really helped them, and, you know, it's the word of mouth is one of the strongest, you know, indicators that someone's worked well for someone else that they trust. And then, you know, you think you may have found someone that might be worthwhile for you. A lot of NDs offer 10 or 15 minute complimentary meet and greet or discovery sessions, either online, on the phone, in person. So you could meet up with this ND, whichever way works best for you, and see, you know, ask some questions that are general in nature. At these meetings, we can't provide medical advice, but we can just talk about how we practice our belief system if we do, you know, treat those conditions that the patient is looking for. And I guess it's an opportunity to see that person's personality. Like, do they have a good bedside manner? Are, are they good communicators? Are they the type of communicator that you perhaps need because of, you know, language difficulties or whatever, you know? Absolutely. Well, that's fantastic advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Will you be back again soon? I will. That was Dr. Emily Lipinski, ND. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. 
Tracy Sograti has an eclectic background in molecular biology, psychology, and nursing. She practices psychotherapy and yoga therapy and has over 20 years experience in leading classes, workshops, and events. She believes that the tools of mindfulness pave the way for a deeply meaningful life at any stage. You can find her at SograttiYoga.com, Sograti Yoga on Facebook, or Tracy Sograti on Instagram. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Thanks, Jamie. I'm great. So excited to talk about our topic today. Yes. So mindfulness, middle age, and self-actualization. So my first question is, are we defining middle age? What's middle age? <laughs> Sorry, my age? Okay. Uh, yeah, you know, as 40s, I okay. would say, so 40s it's too, it's to 60s. for me. All right, no, I'm in there then. Okay. Wait, when you think 40s to 60s? I hope I'm still in there. I hope I'm still good. Of course you're still in there. Okay, good. All right, so that begs question number two. What is self-actualization? Ah, it's my most exciting question. So the concept of self-actualization, it's really highlighted in this perspective of humanistic psychology, okay. uh, which, is a, which is a really optimistic perspective about personality and human nature. Mm-hmm. And essentially what it is, is it's like the innate drive that everyone has to fulfill their potential, to evolve, to grow. Mm-hmm. And the guy that talked about this a lot was Abraham Maslow. Have you heard of him? I have heard of him because yeah. I, I took first year psych. Right? It's been a long time. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think anyone who's taken first year psych knows about Maslow and his needs hierarchy, which was, you know, which is, which is infamous, really. Yeah. And, and self-actualization is kind of at the top of that hierarchy. And it's, it's like the full realization of your creative, your social, and your, your intellectual potential. Mm-hmm. And in Maslow's hierarchy, the idea is that, you know, you've got sort of these base needs at the bottom, which is like your survival needs, your reproductive needs. Shelter, you know, and, food. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And as the, and those needs are obviously dominant. And once you satisfy, you know, a percentage of those needs, you can start to think about things that are perhaps more intangible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once you get to the top, what you get is this full realization, this self-realization or self-actualization. And, you know, the really interesting interesting thing I think about this perspective is what it what is basically positing is that we have a choice right we have free will mm-hmm. and that's a whole other discussion but we have the choice or the opportunity the free will to act to change our circumstances and you know I'm curious what you think about this but from my perspective, you know, given my life history and my education, I, I really believe in that. When I look at the people that I've worked with over time, I'm like, you know, I think that given the right tools, everybody has the opportunity and the chance to transform. I, I 100% on board with that. So, okay, I will say, yes, I agree with you. I will mm-hmm. say I'm the poster boy for resisting change. Like I, uh, I know. Histor- I you. Historically... I will only change if it is thrust upon me. I do not actively go and seek change. But if if you actually look at the way I have conducted my adult life, Mm -hmm. quite surprisingly, I've gone through tremendous amounts of change, whether it's physical, professional, emotional, like like radical change. Mm -hmm. So, and it's funny that you're talking about middle age and how you, and that's why I first asked how you define it, because I started having these pangs of dissatisfaction bubble to the top in my late thirties, early forties. Exactly. And you know, yes, some of the change was thrust upon me because of professional circumstances. But then, you know, quite actively, I've reinvented myself like two or three times, like from becoming a commercial litigator to a publisher and now a radio host. So, you know, yes, I agree. We can change. Absolutely. And the fact that you just characterized yourself as the most resistant to change and yet 
you have rebirthed yourself multiple times. And, you know, I've had the, the unique opportunity to have witnessed it. Yeah. Over time, you know, right, I, yeah. I've witnessed that transition in you. So I just love that you brought that to light for listeners who, you know, get this sort of nihilistic sense that, oh, I'm here now and I can't do anything to shift it. And I, I just don't believe that to be true. No. And, and one of the first things you talk about uh, was the creative aspect of it. Yeah. And, and that was missing for me as a commercial litigator. And yeah. I was, you know, I was busy writing restaurant columns and humor columns. I had an agent in Hollywood. I was a screenwriter mm-hmm. and I realized I wasn't being fulfilled because my creative side was being completely stunted. I was a good lawyer. It just yeah. wasn't, it wasn't bringing me pleasure and it was manifesting in me being unhappy and overeating and blah, 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 blah. Exactly. But when I shifted over to a more creative outlet, all of a sudden my life changed. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing to also highlight for people is that when we talk about a creative outlet, like it, it doesn't mean that everybody has to become an artist. No, of course not. But when I speak about creativity, what I want people to understand is that you have the creative potential within you to be the architect of your own reality. Yes. And, you know, it doesn't mean that things change overnight. Like, there are many small steps that go into that. But think about it like that. Like, you can be the architect of your reality if you so choose. And the reason that middle age, I think, is so... I actually think it's a brilliant and special time is because it's this you've got this like unique position where you've got you've got experience under your belt. Yeah. You know, when you're twenty years old you don't have the experience to reflect on. You know, you've got stuff people have told you about life, but you're not even, you don't even necessarily want to listen to it. And so at middle age, there is this wealth of experience behind you. And there's also this drive to make the future count. And, you know, when I think about my clients right now, I think one blessing of COVID is that it's made everybody take pause and sort of consider like, you know, what do I want for my future? Mm-hmm. And when we can use really, really practical strategies to move forward, you can change your health, you can change your contentment, you can start to consider purpose. And I really believe that mindfulness can actually bridge all of those circumstances between now and your self-actualized state. I think you're right. I think you need to have a certain amount of life under your belt before mm-hmm. you can actually understand what makes you happy. Like you really don't understand it when you're younger. I mean, I'll, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people get it right away. That's not my experience. And so I agree with you. No, I'm with you 100%. I mean, it wasn't my experience either. When I look back at the decisions I made in my 20s, I mean, definitely they, you know, all of the mistakes I made, they contextualized who I am. And they gave me a sense of where to go. But I didn't know how to ask the questions that I needed to ask. And I think if I could say, like, the wisdom that I have now, I know how to ask myself the right questions. Mm -hmm. And that leads to answers. All right. So let's talk about what a self-actualized person might look like so so people can aspire to it. Yeah, absolutely. So first, there's this concept of peak experiences. And this just means that we have a sense of awe, right? So we go through things where we experience awe and or a flow state, right? Mm-hmm. And and this is sort of where time shifts. It either feels like it speeds up or slows down. And often there's a feeling of transformation afterwards. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes people think, well, I don't know if I have a peak experiences or I don't know when I'm in, in flow state. And it can happen when you're writing it. Can happen when you're running. If you go outside and look at nature and you have 10 seconds where you're like, wow, that's so beautiful, that's awe, mm-hmm. right? And, yep. and these peak experiences just kind of expand that initial state of awe. There's a sense of self-acceptance and an internal locus of control. 
Okay. And that just means that you're comfortable in your own skin and you're comfortable with other people being themselves as well. So there's a high degree of autonomy. This idea of an internal locus of control is pretty important. It's something you can learn and it's something you can build on. This is just the sense that you are guided by your own internal compass. So you're not a chameleon. You're not a slave to what other people think of you. Mm-hmm. You're pretty realistic, which just means that you accept life as it comes, and that kind of goes along with being, you know, present-oriented. There's a strong sense of ethics and morals, so, you know, you're pretty thoughtful. People who are self-actualized really enjoy independence, solitude, and privacy. And so this means you get really comfortable. Not only are you comfortable in your own skin, but you're pretty comfortable being with yourself. Yep. And then finally, there's a sense that you're mindful of the journey over the outcome. I think that's the biggest one. Yeah, tell me about that. Why do you think that's the biggest one? Because I think it's too hard to spend your whole life being goal-oriented to Mm -hmm. derive pleasure or contentment. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to be content in what you are doing. It just makes your life easier. I don't know if I'm explaining that right, but that's the way I feel about it now. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, so my belief is that the goals are actually only in place to serve the process. Okay, yep. Right? Yep. So they actually serve the process and the process of where it's at. Like if all, there's so much research on mindfulness and all of it's about being in the present moment. Yep. And that's what it means to be in the journey over the outcome. I mean, you experience awe, not in the goal, you experience it in the present moment. So I, I think you're right. I think you're totally right. And it's just about aligning your life so that you're doing things where you have those small little tangible experiences of awe in what you're doing, which is why you transformed your profession. Yeah. Like, I mean, I like being on the radio. I like doing it. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether or not I'm good at it or whatever, I think I am. But that's kind of besides the point. I've got the opportunity to do it and I'm running with it. So yeah. Yeah. Is, like right? you lose sense of time. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to my next point. We're almost out of time. So let's talk about the mindful self for a few minutes. Yeah. Okay. So the mindful self is really a kind of self that you want to develop. And the mindful self is what allows you to experience self-actualization. Okay. And, you know, the mindful self is really a mindfulness enlightened self view and attitude. Okay? Mm-hmm. And you get a mindful self by practicing mindfulness. And this can happen in little short bursts over the course of the day. And practicing mindfulness just means being with yourself with curiosity, right? Mm-hmm. Starting your morning out, sitting with yourself for five minutes and exploring, like watching the thought, kind of thoughts that come up, exploring them with curiosity. And the more you can be with yourself for moments without defensiveness, the less your psychological defense mechanisms will come up, right? And then the less your psychological defense mechanisms come up, the more you'll be able to experience situations impartially, right? Without judging them, without creating stories about them. And when when you have that clarity, the self-actualization comes along with it because then you're no longer reacting to your environmental circumstances. You're seeing them clearly and just acting in the moment, Right? So you've got this greater self-awareness, this greater self-regulation, and ultimately self-transcendence. Right? And that self-transcendence equals greater well-being, and the, greater, you know, the, the better you feel inside, the more pro-socially you'll act. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing that with us. Such a pleasure, Jamie. Will you come back again and share some more? Of course. Fantastic. That was Tracy Sograti. 
Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Gordon Chang, Shauna Lindzen, Dr. Emily Lipinski, ND, and Tracy Sagrati. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss probiotics, yoga, hosting vegetarians, and other health and wellness topics. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.